Well, good morning, Seacoast. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yes, I'm so glad you did. I did as well. My name is Josh Walters, one of the pastors here at the church, and I find myself daydreaming already about the Thanksgiving leftovers that I'm finna have after church today. So hope you had plenty of sweet potato casserole. How many of you would agree that should be a side that we spread into meals throughout the year, not just Thanksgiving? Okay, I see some heads nodding. There's 14 of you with me. That's great. That's all I need. We'll set up a food train, right? Well, hey, I wanted to share some exciting news that you were a part of that you might not have known that you were a part of across all of our campuses. I was hanging out with my father-in-law this past week. He said, hey, do y'all have a, a Thanksgiving service? And I was like, not in the room, but do we ever have a Thanksgiving service? Man, it is what we are all about. Our Conway campus opened up their doors and hosted a sit-down dinner for folks from their campus and folks in the community that were experiencing homelessness. Our Asheville campus partnered with the Asheville uh, Dream Center and hosted a sit-down meal with our Dream Team and Adopt-A-Block families. Our Columbia campus gave out 130 boxes from their new food pantry to families in their community who were in need collectively across Across all of our campuses, we gave out 12,000 meals, something that we all got to be a part of. Can we praise God? Isn't that amazing? Just incredible. Man, do we have a Thanksgiving service. Yes, we do. Seacoast, you know. We had a golf tournament this past week, raised $15,000. That's going towards local missions. 120 guys played in that. So, so many ways that we as a church are generous. And what I love about it is that uh, for God so loved the world that he gave. And man, because we love big, we give big. And all of you are a part of that. So thank you so much for your faithfulness and generosity in giving. Also, I want you to know as we kick off this season of generosity and giving, this Advent season where we remember his coming and look in anticipation to his coming, we also have an Advent devotional for you. You can go to seacoast.org forward slash Advent. You can pick it up on the app. There's a devotional there now. It'll start officially December 3rd. But as we step into this season together, we can grow together as well. Well, listen, today you are in for a treat because we have a son of the house, a close friend, Pastor Ernest Smith, who is here from Castle Rock, Colorado. That's right. We got some screams. My man raising the roof over here. That's good. Ernest, all kind of energy for you this morning. Well, listen, when I first started here at Seacoast about 16 years ago, Ernest was one of those guys, you know, you go through different seasons of life and somebody's character, leadership, presence are just marking to you. And man, his hunger for God and diligence in leading and serving and caring for people still sets the bar for me to this day. So he's been gone for nine years now. Their church is nine years old. They've actually been in nine different locations. They're building their first permanent home. And man, he has got a powerful word for us this morning. So Seacoast, let's give him a shout out. Celebrate Ernest being home. Got a great word. Well, welcome to Seacoast. Uh, as Pastor Josh just said, my name is Ernest. I'm Man, I'm so humbled to, uh, to be here. I want to welcome all of the campuses, whether you're joining us in Columbia in your morning today, uh, or you're joining us in Greenville and you're celebrating, or maybe you're in Asheville and you don't care, um, or some other campus. Man, I'm so grateful that you guys are with us as well. And I know I know a lot of people here, but man, the church has really grown since we've left. And so I don't know a lot of you, so I want to introduce you to my family. Uh, we have a picture of them. Uh, this is my wife, uh, Sarah. We've been married, it'll be 21 years this December. Uh, and then we have two kids, 13-year-old boy named Wyatt, 11-year-old girl named Waverly. Uh, we also have two dogs. Here's a picture of one of them. Uh, his name is Winston. Uh, he's the cute one. Uh, the other one is not as cute, so I don't have any pictures of her. 
Some of you might do that with your kids. Um, uh, uh, but she's a, uh, she's a Yorkie, so if you need to imagine something, imagine a rat. Uh, that's what she looks like. Uh, and we, we most of the time love her as well. Um, we're, we are all, Colo- I mean, uh, 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 even though we live in Colorado, we're all Charlestonians. My wife and I got married in the old sanctuary. Our kids both got dedicated in, in the chapel. Um, so we are, are from here. And I don't know if you know this, though, that there's major differences between Charleston and Colorado, like major differences. Like one of those differences is the weather. Uh, we don't have humidity in, in Colorado, which is awesome. That's amazing. Uh, but it's a little bit different uh, climate as well. Like five weeks ago, we were doing our, uh, our big um, generosity initiative. We're right now in the middle of a building campaign, and we just broke ground. It's awesome. And we've, we've been telling our people, man, come ready on this Sunday to be able to give and, and to commit to something. Like God's going to do something great. Well, he did something great. It snowed over a foot that day. And no one showed up, basically. You know, we're like, thank you, Jesus. Now do a miracle, you know? Um, uh, so the weather's different. College football is different. Uh, college football is like king out here. And in Colorado, they don't even know what college football is, right? I mean, there was like a very short stint uh, where prime time, there was like this phenomenon going on uh, for three whole weeks. Uh, praise God, the Colorado fan up there. Um, and, uh, but that's it. So like college football out there, I mean, no one really knows what's going on. And uh, they, they, they don't know Clemson and Carolina. They definitely don't know when I wear my, my, uh, my, my hat uh, of the uh, two-time defending national champion, <laughs> Georgia Bulldogs. People don't walk by me and say, go dogs. They're like, hey, Green Bay, don't you know? You know, I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying. I don't understand that language, you know. Uh, they don't understand college football. Uh, probably the biggest thing, though, is the food. Uh, It's the thing that I miss the most, besides my family, of course. Um, uh, I miss the food. If you're a foodie, man, Charleston is the place to be. Uh, They don't have good barbecue out in Colorado, primarily because there's a lot of Texans there, and they like that nasty dry rub stuff. Uh, So there's not good mustard-based barbecue. Uh, There's no sweet tea. Uh, There's a lot of things, Uh, which honestly... Uh, isn't that big of a deal for me because uh, I'm going to make an admission here that my grandma was probably going to disown me for. Uh, but I don't like a ton of Southern food. Particularly, I don't like um, a fried chicken or really anything that's fried. Like when I go to Chick-fil-A, I get the grilled chicken nuggets, uh, which smells for some reason. Don't know if you've experienced that phenomenon, um, but it's kind of weird. Uh, but that's what I eat. Uh, I don't like seafood. Uh, even though I was born here, Raised here, I don't like seafood. And I've tried to ponder, like, why don't I like oysters? I love to cook oysters, but I don't like to eat them. I don't like to eat squid, or if you're uppity, you call it calamari. Um, I don't like to eat crab or fish. And as I've pondered that, like, why don't I eat those things? It's primarily the smell. Like, it's, it's just a nasty, seafood has a nasty smell. Like, I remember going to the old village here in Mount Pleasant, and we would just go to a dock, and there would be a boat right there that had just caught all this stuff, and we would buy the stuff. And, man, just the smell alone, I'm like, this is nasty. Like, how does anybody eat this? Well, the guy that we're looking at today, studying his life, I don't think he ate any seafood after what he experienced today. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Jonah chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, Man, I would encourage you, if you don't have the Bible app, to download it. It's a great resource to be able to get into God's word. Uh, Let me set up the story for you. So Jonah is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, A prophet is somebody who hears a word from God for a person or a group of people. 
Now, he, the, the book of Jonah is one of 16 prophetic books in the Old Testament, but it's unlike all the other ones. All the other prophetic books are about the words that God spoke through the prophets. But the book of Jonah is not about the words that he spoke. It's about his life. And it really speaks to us that there's a, a little Jonah inside of all of us. So Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh, which is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The, Assyri the Assyrians, they were brutal. I mean, these guys, they, the, the psychological warfare, the brutality, all the things that they did, they were some of the worst people to ever roam the planet. And God says, I want you to go there and tell them that their wickedness has risen to me and they need to repent. Now, if I'm the, if this is my enemy and God tells me to do that, I'm like, let's go. I want to do this. But Jonah's like, I'm not doing that. So he runs 3,000 miles in the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. While he's on a boat heading to Tarshish, God sends a storm uh, to, to kind of wake him up and get him to turn around. Uh, the sailors that are on the boat, this is what they do for a living. They've been in many storms, yet they're scared. And so they ask Jonah, they're like, well, who are you? He's like, I'm a prophet of God. They're like, awesome. This, this, there's like no win here. You know, we can't throw him overboard because he's a prophet of God. We can't kill him, but he's running from God. So what do we do in this scenario? And Jonah says, just throw me overboard. Just kill me which is pretty fascinating to me that Jonah would rather die than go, hey, just go back to dry land and I'll do what God tells me to do. He'd rather die than do what God tells him to do. Again, there's a little bit of Jonah inside of all of us. That's where we pick up with the story. Jonah chapter one, verse 17. It says this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now stop right there for a moment because a lot of people get stuck here. I've had people tell me over the years, Ernest, it's really hard for me to believe the Bible. Uh, I had, I've had people say it's really hard for me to believe in God because of the Jonah story. Like, do you really take that literally? Did that actually happen? Is it, a, is it a historical account or is it just an allegory or metaphor or something, something like that? Ernest, what, what do you believe about that? And I'll be honest, I've had to wrestle with this. I didn't grow up in the church, and so when I accepted Christ, I, uh, I, I remember starting to read the Bible, and I got to Jonah, and I'm like, Whoa, this is weird. Like, I've never seen somebody get swallowed up by a fish. You know, like, that's kind of hard to believe. And so I began to wrestle with that. And here's what I'll say. I'll say, you don't have to believe what I believe to get something out of the book of Jonah. But let me give you three reasons why I do take this story literally. Three reasons. Number one, there are fish big enough to swallow Jonah. There are 100% fish big enough to swallow Jonah. The sperm whale is 52 feet in length. That, that is the size of a semi-truck. Okay, you can easily put a human inside of a semi-truck. The whale shark is 62 feet in length. That's a six-story building. How many apartments can go in a six-story building, right? So a lot of people can, can live in that area. Uh, the blue whale is 108 feet in length. That's the size of a 737. If you've ever flown, you've probably flown in a 737 or bigger. There's a lot of humans that can go into a 737. And then just recently, about two months ago, the New York Times put out, or Washington Post put out a, uh, an article talking about this new fossil that they found of a, a new whale, some type of new species that they had never seen before. And they say that this, this whale grew up to 200 feet in length. That's a lot. That's like a house on Isle of Palms. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's massive. That's huge. There's a lot of humans that can live in there. So three reasons why I believe this is a literal story. One, there's definitely fish that are big enough to swallow a human. Number two, historians wrote about Jonah. The, uh, the first century Jewish historian Josephus, he wrote about Jonah's life 
And he gives us more detail. He, talk, he talks about where uh, the fish actually spit him up onto dry land, more details about what he told the Ninevites and how long he stayed and these different things that we don't read in the book of Jonah. So he's not using the book of Jonah as his source. So there's a lot of historians that would say because of, of Josephus and others that this is an actual historical account of a prophet, not just a literary masterpiece. And then the third reason I would say that this is a, a literal story is because Jesus seemed to take it literally. Uh, you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, a title he gives for himself, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So Jesus is saying, just like this happened, this will happen. So it's really hard for me to believe that the resurrection of Christ happened if I don't believe this is a literal story. Because Jesus says, just like this, this is going to happen. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to agree with me. Okay, I will say, though, if you do your research, it's a harder sell to say it's just a literary masterpiece and not a historical account. You actually do your own research. You'll see it's a little bit harder to say, ah, oh, it's just a metaphor, an allegory, something like that, than to say it's truly a historical account. Either way, let's continue. Like at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. So what does Jonah do? From inside the belly of the fish, he prays. Something he hasn't done up until this point. God calls him to Nineveh. He doesn't pray. He gets on a boat, and the storm comes. He doesn't pray. He gets thrown over, overboard into the sea. He doesn't pray. He, he gets swallowed up by the fish. He still doesn't pray. At this point, he's been inside for three days and three nights, and now Jonah's like, I think it's a good time to pray. We probably should talk to God about this. Now, one of the fascinating things is that this is one of the most profound prayers in Scripture. If you love studying prayers and Scripture and all that, I would encourage you to go study Jonah chapter 2. It's one of the most profound prayers in Scripture. He quotes Psalm 120, Lamentations 3, Job. There's no less than 11 different Old Testament passages that he quotes in eight verses. Jonah knows, knows God's word. Like There's no doubt that Jonah knows God's word. He understands God's word. And here's the warning. You can know God's word and still not do it. You can know what God's word says. You can understand what God's word says and still choose not to do it. And that is called practical atheism. When you say you believe something that God says or that God wants you to do, and you, yet you still choose not to do it, that is practical atheism. So what does Jonah pray? Look at verse 2. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He acknowledges that God is the one that has caused this storm. Now, here's the deal. We all go through storms in life, and there are some storms that are caused by your own sin and our own rebellion. There are other storms that are caused simply because the world is broken or caused by Satan, and then there are some storms caused by God. And what's fascinating is that for me, maybe not for you, but when I go through storms, there's so many times where if I acknowledge that God was a part of that, either creating the storm or allowing it to happen, I don't want to lean into God. Like so many of us, we will get angry with him, we'll be hurt by him, we'll want to, you know, re re repel from him. 
But Jonah doesn't do that. Jonah actually leans in. Look at verse five. It says, the, uh, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought up my life from the pit. So God, you're the one that caused this. But I thank you because you brought me up out of it. You're the one that caused me to be in the water. And it actually wasn't God. It was Jonah's own sin and rebellion. But God caused the storm to come. You caused this to happen, the storm. But I thank you because you brought me up out of the pit. He now gives God thanks for what he's doing. And it's these next four verses that I want us to pay attention to. It's these next four verses, these next four lines that he prays that you will find your story and his story. Look at verse seven. It says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, you Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Now, there's some that might think, well, why did he wait for it to go that long? Like, why did he get to the point where his life was ebbing away when he could have just turned? Like, I think that when Jonah was on the boat and the storm's coming, if the sailors are like, well, who are you and what's going on? He's like, I'm prophet of God. I'm running from God. If he would have just been like, hey, just give me to dry land. I'll do what God says. I think God, I think the storm would have ceased. I think everything would have been fine. But here it says, when my life was ebbing away, why, Jonah, did you allow it to get to that point? Why'd you allow it to get so bad that now you're like, God, I need you now? I, I think this part of Jonah's story teaches us this, that it's never too late to turn to God. It's never too late to turn to God. This is one of the most powerful truths about God. That if you have breath in your lungs, it's still not too late. And no matter what you've done, no matter what you've gone through, there are a lot of people I've met over the years, and my assumption is there's probably a lot of us in here, there's those of us watching online or at another campus that we'd be real honest, we'd say, man, I think what I've done is too much. I've strayed too far away from the Lord. Or maybe I, I knew the Lord at one point, I rebelled from him, and why would God bring me back? Why would God? And that's the beauty of our God, is that he loves you and I so much that he just longs for us to turn to him. And so many people choose not to. We think, well, maybe one day, one day I'll do that. But right now I'm kind of doing my own thing. That's kind of where I was when, when I first entered this place. I, I've been uh, online, uh, on social media, I've been seeing a lot of people uh, that are part of Seco's posting their Seco story. Well, as I've been reading that, I'm like, oh man, I remember that. I remember that about you. And my Seco story, I remember the first time I walked into this place, I was oscillating back and forth between atheism and agnosticism. I really didn't care. I thought if there was a big guy in the sky, like surely he would, you know, give me entrance at some point. I'm not like terrible, like a Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, like I, I'm a little bit better human than that. Surely he's going to allow me entrance into this so-called heaven of his. So that's kind of where I was. And I was in a bad place in my life. I was dealing with alcoholism and drug abuse and, and, and suicide and just a lot of different things that I was walking through. And I remember the first time that I came to Seacoast. Here's what I don't remember. I don't remember what songs were played, and I don't remember what Pastor Greg preached, which is really deflating for a preacher, really deflating. I remember two people that day. I remember there was a guy in the parking lot who helped me park my car. And I remember him because he was very happy. And I'm like, something's wrong with you, dude. It is hot here. There's a lot of humidity. Like, what are you on right now? Because you're very excited to be here 
and to help park cars. And then I remember walking up to the front door and this lady said, we're so glad that you're here. I thought, you don't know my story. Like, I'm pretty sure when I walk into this place, lightning is going to strike. Like, that's where I was at in my life. Like, for you to be glad that I'm here, and this is a safe place. I want you to know, like, if you feel like you're too far from God, or the things that you're wrestling with, the things that you're going through, or the sin that you have in your life, you're in the perfect place to encounter the presence of God. You're in a place that will love you, and that will walk with you, no matter how long it takes you to ultimately turn your life over to Christ. That's our good God, is you're never too, too far gone. If you've got breath in your lungs, you can still turn your life over to Christ. What does that mean? It means recognizing first and foremost that I'm a sinner. All of us are. We all are. And our sin separates us from God. If you've ever said, man, I feel far from God. I feel separated from him. I feel like God can't hear me or whatever the case. That's because of sin. That's what sin does. And God loved you and I so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price that we owed. Sin, there, there's, a, there's a payment that has to be made because of sin, and that's death. Well, Jesus paid that payment for you and I. But the beauty is he didn't stay dead. He showed his power over sin and over death by rising from the dead three days later. And that's the hope that we have. And so for you and I, no matter where you sit, no matter how far you feel from God, you're never too late as long as you have breath in your lungs. You can turn to him today. Some of you God brought you here today just to hear that one word. Now, let's continue with, with the passage. Look at verse 8. It says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. This, this fascinating passage, he says, for those who cling to worthless idols, you actually turn away from God's love for you. Like, God is trying to give you love, and if you cling to something else other than God, you actually turn away from that love. Jonah, this part of Jonah's story is trying to teach us this, that choose carefully what you cling to. Choose carefully what you cling to. Did Jonah have like a little pocket idol that was, you know, carved out of wood or whatever, like some image? No. What was his idol? An idol is anything that you set up above God. Anything that you put in God's place, that's an idol. What was Jonah's idol? It was himself. Jonah wanted what he wanted. He had his own desires, his own will, God said, I want you to do this. And Jonah's like, ah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think I'm okay right where I'm at. Or I'll go the complete opposite direction. Jonah's idol was himself. And he says here that anyone who clings to anything other than God, you actually turn yourself from God's love. None of us want to be turned from God's love. We all want to receive God's love. The thing that turns us from it is our own clinging to worthless idols. I wonder if any of us in here, any of us watching online, we have any idols that we're clinging to. Maybe it's not a little wooden carved image, but maybe it's work. Maybe it's a relationship that you put above God. Maybe it's money or substances, social media, longing for power, for fame, whatever it may be. If there's anything else in your life that you put above God, that is a worthless idol. And I think all of us at times in our lives, we cling to worthless idols. God says, if you want my love, let go of that. Give that up in your life. Some of us, we came here just for that. Just to hear, choose carefully what you cling to. If you're clinging to money, it's 
never going to satisfy. If you're clinging to other, other things of the world. The, the fascinating thing is that Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. He's the only one that can promise and deliver on that promise. Like the rest of the world would say, hey, come do this, do that. It'll, it'll be great and all that. The world will promise you this abundant life, but it can't deliver. Jesus is the only one that can deliver, but it takes us letting go of worthless idols in our lives. So cling to God, find salvation and redemption in him. And then that leads us to our last two verses. Jonah says, but I, will sh- I, I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Even after being in a storm, after being thrown overboard, after being swallowed by a fish, Jonah says, I will still praise you. Why? How can Jonah still praise God in the midst of all the things that he's been going through? It's simply because he knew this: storms can be redeeming. Storms can be redeeming. Now, there's not a person that I know that loves to go through storms, right? No one's like, hey, Satan, bring it. You know, I want your best. Or world, give it to me. Or you know what, let me go do my own thing so I can just have all this, this darkness and this hardships and all of these difficult things. Man, I, would, I love that. Like, no one I know says that or believes that. But what if? What if the storms in your life could bring redemption? What if the storms in your life could heal your marriage? What if the storms in your life could bring somebody to salvation? What if the storms in your life could help you become a better father or a better mother or lead to something so great on the other side? Would you go through it? Most of us would say yes, but it doesn't lessen the pain of the storm. I said earlier that not all storms are caused by God. They can be caused by Satan or the world or your own sin. But sometimes they are caused by God. And here's what I know. When a storm is caused by God, he will bring redemption through it. Romans 8.28, one of my favorite passages. For God causes all things to work out together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God causes all things to work together for good. Everything, no matter what you're dealing with, he will cause it all to come together for good. But what if it doesn't seem like that or feel like that? Here's what I know about storms. To be able to see the redemption that happens, it takes time and a changing of perspective. Like to see whatever you're dealing with and whatever you're going through, to see the good come out of it, it takes time and a changing of your perspective. It's kind of like this, this picture up here. You know, you've got a picture and it's of a storm and there's so many times, like for me, when I walk through a storm, you know, I, I want to, I, I tend to look over here, like everything's so dark. Like this is my framing of, of, of what I'm dealing with. It's so dark. God, why are, why are we allowing this to, to go through? And then with time or with, with believers in my life or reading through God's word or God just doing stuff in me, it begins to shift a little bit. And maybe, maybe I can see a little bit. I can see a little bit of, the, of light coming through. It's still mostly dark though but I can see a little bit of light coming through. And then again, with more time, with more time with the Lord, with more brothers and sisters in my life, encouraging me and praying for me and all of that, I eventually get over to a place where I see a lot more light. And the storm is still happening. The storm is still raging. My perspective has changed. Okay, I, I can trust in him. 
You know what's fascinating about storms? The more you go through them, the more you realize how faithful God is. The more you realize that like, no, nah, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna make it through this. We're gonna be okay with this. Like, I don't know how. But my, my perspective is gonna change because I know that my God is good. And he is faithful. So what do you need today? For some of us, God brought you here today simply to say, it's not too late. Turn to Christ now. Give your life over to him now. Again, it means recognizing that you're a sinner. We all are. We all are. We're all in the same boat. Our sin separates us from him. And the only way back into a right relationship with God is through Jesus. And so for some of us today, it's going, and I don't get it. I still have questions. There's probably still some doubts, and that's okay, because you're in a church that will walk with you through all of that. But it's saying, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this step of faith today. I'm going to cross the line. I'm going to choose to trust in something in some ways doesn't always make sense. But I'm going to choose to trust in this unconditional love from a God who created me and died for me. For some of us, God brought us here today to say, hey, I need you to let go of worthless idols. There's something in your life that you've placed above God. Maybe it is money, and the more you have, the more security you feel rather than feeling it in him. And that's one of mine, for sure. But it's an endless pursuit. Like you're never satisfied. You never have what you need. Maybe it's a relationship. I talk to people every single week that a relationship is above their relationship with God. They think if I can just have a good marriage, or if I could just be a good father, if I could just have a good relationship with this friend, if I could just have whatever it may be, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have contentment. It's an endless pursuit. You'll never achieve it. Maybe it's a certain status in your job, whatever it may be. Is there something in your life you're going, man, I'm clinging to something that's something other than God. And then I know with a, a group this size and those thousands of people watching online, there's a lot of us going through some storms right now. And I just want you to know that I don't minimize your storm. Like, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, I don't minimize it. But we'll say I trust God to bring you through it. For God to bring redemption out of it. And I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know when that's going to happen. I wish I had answers. We just, some of our good friends just lost their infant child. Like, when is God going to bring good out of that? Like, what's the purpose of that? And like in that moment, like, I don't even know what to say. I'm a terrible pastor because I just like weep with them. And I'm so sorry. I don't quote that scripture at them. Like, well, God's going to cause all things to work. I don't know how. I do believe it, and I'm going to stand on it, but I don't know how or when, and it's probably not the right timing right then, but man, I'm standing firm that God is going to bring good. I was just talking with a guy after last service, and he said, man, when I was two years old, my, my father died. When I was 11, my mom died. I'm like, oh my gosh, bro, just throw it all out there, and he starts, and then he gets to the end, and he's like, and if that didn't happen, all these other amazing things in my life wouldn't have happened. 
is time and perspective. God will cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and call according to his purpose. But it doesn't minimize the storm you're walking through right now. And I'm sorry. Because I know it's painful. Maybe God brought you here just to let you know he will redeem it. And he's with you in the midst of it. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. And he will show you at some point and some way that he is faithful. And he is good. Jonah learned that about his story. And here he could say, oh God, I praise you. I give you glory because you are with me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the story of Jonah and God, how we look at his life and we see reflections of our life and who we are. And I thank you that even in the midst of his rebellion, you loved him and you were drawing him to yourself. And I thank you that there are some of us in here today, that right now, some of us watching at other campuses or watching online. If we were to be honest with where we are, man, we're, we're far from you. But we still have breath in our lungs, so there's still time. So God, I pray we wouldn't delay. That we would turn to you right now. We would recognize that we're a sinner. We'd see what you've done for us, Jesus. We'd commit our life over to you or recommit our life to you. God, there's some of us that would be honest. We'd say, man, there's some, there's some worthless idols in my life right now. There's some things that I'm placing above you, God. God, today, may we lay those things down at your feet. May we confess those to you. May we get rid of those things and say, man, we don't want to walk out of here with those worthless idols in our life. God, we give this to you now. And then, God, there's some of us who are walking through a storm. It was like the mom after last service whose child is an addict and they don't know if he'll ever come through. Maybe it's somebody who's walking through a divorce right now. Their marriage is struggling. God, you know the storms that we're dealing with that are happening in this room and at every campus, even online. In fact, right now, I just want to take a moment and pray for you if you are going through that. So if you're, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. But if you'd be brave enough to say, man, I'm, I'm walking through a storm right now. And I could use some prayer. Do me a favor and just lift up your hand. Whether you're here in Mount Pleasant, hands going up everywhere. Gosh, so many. Maybe you're at another campus. Your campus pastor sees you online. Father, I pray right now for these individuals, God, you know their story. You know what they're walking through. And God, I ask that you would show yourself faithful, God. That like Jonah met you in the belly of a fish, that you would meet us right now in the darkness of our storm. That God, you would show up in such a powerful way. It would be unmistakable that our God is good, that you are faithful. And may we hold on to the truth that you are somehow going to redeem this. You are somehow going to bring good out of this. And even if we can't see it, we cling to you. Even if we can't see it, God, we hold on to you, to your word, to your promise. So God, bring redemption. 
Father, tell us what we're to do next. What is ours to do with this conversation? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.